With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Hammer and Ales Group Football Podcast, where tonight, this morning, wherever you're listening to this, we are suffering through yet another loss. That's three losses in three home games by eight total points to start the season. There is weeping, there is gnashing of teeth, and just general frustration as Jeff Brom, at seven and nine, now has five of his nine losses by a grand total of 11 points. With us tonight, we have on the West Coast, Juan, Dr. Juan, I should say, who is the lucky bastard that gets to have every other Friday off just to go to the beach. You know what? You suck, officially. (laughs) Well, I mean, I work the other hours during the day. Like, I work nine hours a day. So I still work 40 hours, 80 hours every two weeks. Just get every other day off, or every other Friday off, excuse me. Well, yeah, but you're still in Southern California, whereas we are in Midwest, in the Midwest, and we get to go stare at corn if we get time off. That sounds nice sometimes, you know? Sometimes you just got to stare at the corn and think, should I build a baseball field here? (laughs) Uh, Also with us tonight from the Little Apple, Manhattan, Kansas, Drew Schneider, the legend of Sean McCarthy. How are you doing, Drew? Good, good. And, you know, I get every other Friday off, well, every Friday through Monday through Friday off for the most part. But I don't have a beach to go to, so Juan's the lucky one, I guess. You sound like Kenny's dad on South Park with, well, when you're unemployed, weekends are meaningless. That's right. That's right. It sucks all the joy out of the weekends. (laughs) I don't know what day it is most most of the time. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) So we're here to discuss the eve, uh, or the eve, 
the uh, postmortem of the Missouri loss last night. Another very frustrating Purdue game. Boilers lose on walk-off field goals for back-to-back games, which I saw a tweet today. Uh, I think it might have been from Mike DeFabo or Mike Carmen. Uh, where in the 93-year history of Rossade Stadium, we had never lost on a walk-off field goal on the final play of the game, and now it's happened in consecutive weeks. Uh, so just kind of what's your general thoughts about it, Drew? Well, I mean, obviously, I like the game plan for Missouri much better than I like the uh, game plan for Eastern Michigan. You know, it's just tough. We're not, we're young, we're, and we're not taking care of business when we need to take care of it. When it gets down to winning time, but we can't make a play. And that's really been the difference in basically all three games is our defense hasn't been able to make a play to get off the field to win the game. And, and you're, you're right. And it's like they, they even have made the play against Northwestern and I know that I know even then there's no guarantee we go down and score a touchdown to win that game but the the, the penalty was a huge issue there and I, I don't think the penalty was as much of an issue against Eastern Michigan as giving up that fourth and 15 that was just a backbreaker because that's one play after the penalty even that would have ended the game and we were unable to do it. And then last night, last night I don't even think it was so much one play defensively at the end. It was we couldn't get a stop any time in the game, it seemed. I think we forced, what, two punts, maybe three the whole night? Yeah, we didn't get off the field at all. Our, our The only thing that stopped Missouri was the end zone. <laughs> but at least we forced a couple of field goals. And I, I know that on the one hand people are complaining about the, the refs reviewing of Jared Sparks' touchdown, not touchdown or whatever. Takes four points off the board, but I'm kind of in the majority of with as fast as Missouri went down the field. I think they were inside the 10-yard line with a minute and a half left, so I'm, I don't think we're stopping them from getting out of the end zone. The only reason they didn't get in the end zone there is they didn't feel like it really. Oh yeah, they were within the five-yard line as well, I think, on that last field goal. Just yeah. same emu. They did the exact same thing and they got within the and uh, I think there might need to be a correction on what you said about opposing teams winning on last-minute field goals. Uh, because yeah, I vividly remember IU winning in 2010 in overtime on a field goal as well. That's so right, I yeah. I wanted to state that for the record, unfortunately. It's a bad uh, statistic to say, but... And I'm glad I got to be at all three games. That's just wonderful. And I just want to kind of go through the drive summary for Missouri real quick. This is how they did in the game. So they went... This is all their drivers. They went field goal, punt, so we got to stop on their second drive. Then they went touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown, miss field goal. Yeah, that was the block. That was a big yeah. play by Thynum, and that seemed to be the one that was going to turn the whole game around really yeah yeah then they went touchdown field goal punt interception and that's how we reeled them in there in the fourth because they went punt interception and then they hit a field goal to win yeah and they it says here they were at first and goal yeah they were inside the 10 yard line with more than a minute left uh that that's kind of when i was like well maybe we should give up the touchdown so we at least get the you know i'm thinking give up the touchdown and if you have a minute and a half left you go get your own and then just go for two in the win yeah that's what i I was kind of thinking too once missouri got down into like inside the 20 i felt like our chances of scoring a touchdown were probably better than their chance of missing like a f- extra point so I-, I was sort of 
sort of in that in that mindset as well. Once they got down inside the 20, that I was kind of hoping we would just give up the touchdown and see if our offense could win the game instead of just watching them, you know, take knees. And then I mean, once they got inside the 10, they weren't interested in scoring anyway. But I thought before they got in, in that area, I was hoping we would just let them score so we would have a shot to make a play to win because they just had us in a death grip at the end. There's nothing we could do about it. Right. Um, I mean, you, you're basically, ho- and I, I understand their logic too, of just killing the clock and you're just hoping for a blocked field goal or the rare miss down there. It just sucks that that's happened two weeks in a row. And really, I felt like we played them overall pretty even. There were just some wild swings each way. Uh, both teams missed a long field goal because we had the block and I know Evans missed a field goal. Uh, both teams had one interception which the Purdue uh, the one for Purdue that Blau threw it was a heck of a play it would have been a touchdown if he had just let if he had just put a little more air under it and the the defensive back from Missouri just made one hell of a catch right in front of me but overall you know I'm, I'm not disappointed with the way the offense played at all it would have been nice to have more of a running game but when Blau goes for Four hundred for five hundred and seventy yards. I mean, really, what what can you say negatively about him? I mean, we've seen Blau do this in games before. I think I mentioned that in my article uh, earlier today. We've seen him go crazy in games before. He's a guy that if he gets hot, he can put up big numbers. He threw. Let's see, in twenty sixteen, he threw for four hundred and fifty eight yards and five touchdowns against Iowa, and he threw for three ninety one and three touchdowns against Minnesota. Like. We've seen him go nuclear before. Like once, if he gets it rolling and gets in that rhythm and starts getting being aggressive but being smart about it, uh, he can put up uh, big numbers. You know, on that that play, the interception you mentioned. I mean, that was obvious. It, just, it shows his weakness. He's got to be able to step into the throw to launch it because that he underthrew that by five yards. He gave it all he had with his arm and came up five yards short. That play uh, also kind of broke down too because he was about to get hit again. So it was a desperation throw. And I think Sindelar had that same issue too in the Northwestern game. Like some of those interceptions were, I'm about to get hit. I need to get this ball out um, and hope the receiver's there. And it was just bad. Yeah. I mean, again, I just don't, he doesn't have the arm strength to not be able to use his legs and throw the deep ball. But that's what we actually, that was one of the things I want to talk about is we did a much better job that the reshuffled offensive line uh, really did a good job against Missouri. That's the best pass protection we've had all year by a long shot. I mean, Eastern Michigan was eating our lunch in the pass rush. And uh, we held some of, like, Terry Beckner. I think he got a sack, but we held him pretty quiet all game to where that one dude from EMU wrecked shop on us, like, all game. We had we couldn't block him. We were having to use, like, tight ends and running backs to chip him. So the reshuffled offensive line, I thought, looked much, much better on the edges and gave uh, Blau a chance to sit in the pocket and a chance to sort of survey the field before uh, and decide if he wanted to run instead of just running for his life yeah and i felt like blau had a couple of moments there where he was able to tuck and run and i know that that's one of the things i always thought that made breeze so dangerous especially his senior year is a lot of people forget he rushed for like five six hundred yards that year because he just knew exactly when to tuck and run for 15 20 yards of pop and blau has that ability not 
quite as good as Drew. I mean, you know, you're talking about one of the greatest passers of all time with Breeze, of course, but it's such an underrated ability, and I'm glad that uh, he's got that, and when he showcases it, it makes us a little bit more dangerous. Certainly. I mean, definitely, that is his, the big thing he brings as opposed to, say, Sindelar's blow can get outside the pocket and, and make some things happen. Sindelar can do that a little bit, but not nearly to the extent that Blau can get that done. Now, Blau, this game he did great. He has the tendency when he gets outside the pocket to throw it across his body to the, to the linebackers. That's where a lot of his interceptions actually come from, is when he gets flushed and he's trying to make a play and he tends to roll right and throw it back left to, I would even gather say that the majority of his interceptions are thrown to linebackers or safeties. He, he, uh, he has a hard time doing that when he gets over the middle of the field. So, if this is the David Blau, if the David Blau in Missouri is the David Blau we get all the time, then he's obviously the starting quarterback. And he'll certainly have a chance to prove that he's learned from his mistakes uh, in his career. And this is this is what he looks like on a regular basis. His problems throughout his career hasn't been that he hasn't put up huge games, is that he puts up a huge game and then he puts up a dud. And he might throw five touchdowns one game and then three interceptions the next game. So it's always been a question of sort of consistency with Blau more than anything else even dating back you know from the freshman sophomore and some of his junior year just being that same quarterback game after game instead of flashing and then falling apart well at this point at this point don't you think we might be a little bit torn though in that we're we're trying to build for next year and this season might be done do you at some point do you go with Sindelar under the okay well you'll at least be here next year and you know we don't have a ton left to play for this season or do you let Blau finish the year out i think you play the quarterback that you think is going to win the most games this isn't we need to win games this year for a myriad of reasons uh so i think you, you put your best players on the uh, on the field and if you think blau's the best quarterback then you play blau if you if you play a guy you don't think's the best in participation and in anticipation of another year you you know risk losing the locker room so i, I don't think you would see purdue do that well and you gotta start developing the now too i said this in the last podcast have have a bunch of talented freshmen come in next year but they're still going to be freshmen and it unlike this isn't like college basketball where a star-studded freshman could really change the trajectory of a team like these guys are still going to have to develop they're just they might be a little outsized and all that too so now is the time for even if you're losing now is the time to start separating the sheep from the goats and figure out who are going to be the leaders for next year's team Uh, i think you can do that at a couple of positions too you know, I, I think especially on defense, that's something we need to do because the the upperclassmen just are a different type of upperclassmen than we have leading this team last year. And that that's really what you're seeing. And I, I mentioned that in my wrap-up today. Yeah, Jawan Bentley was the only draft pick from last season, but there's so many other guys that were major contributors. You had Hunt, you had Izzachukwu, you had Okanye, McCollum, Galen Robinson, and these are guys that they just played really well together as a unit, and for whatever reason, be it lack of talent, lack of experience, anything, that we just don't have that this year, and we've got to find a way to put that together, because these are guys that are going to be playing next year, and and they've got to fill in roles. Yeah, you've got some really, really good players. I mean, Karlaftis and Fashow could probably be starting for us right now if they walked onto campus. But those are, like you said, there's only those are only two guys. You still need to put nine other guys around them. 
Uh, yeah, and I, last year's senior class was a little weird because of the predilection of our former head coach to pull, just play his starters. So you saw, I mean, guys like uh, E and Jalen and, uh, you know, when but, uh, when he wasn't hurt, uh, no linebacker uh, frames not Bentley. working. Bentley, I was going to call him Buckley. Uh, yeah, Bentley and, I mean, those guys played and hunt, those guys played a ton of snaps. And there was hard. There wasn't anything behind them. Um, I mean, the the class, the what should be our senior class, only has I think one defensive player left on the roster that we recruited um, with uh, Bailey, uh, and then the junior class doesn't have much either. Those guys all left. None of them played, and they all left or got thrown off the team. So we're really looking at a team of sort of defensively of redshirt freshmen and sophomores, uh, you know, and that's and not the type of redshirt freshmen and sophomores that probably should be playing as redshirt freshmen and sophomores. Yeah, I brought up the list here. It would be the 2014 class, which was ranked 71st nationally, dead last in the Big Ten. Well, wait, we might have been ahead of Rutgers here. Let's see what it says for let's see what it says for the Big Ten rankings. So, uh, oh, we were better than Illinois that year. So, the seniors that are left uh, and actually contributing on the defense this year, you have Tim Kaysen a cornerback, you know, guy that's been a career backup. You know, he's played some starters minutes. He's got some experience, but like you said, he didn't have the experience that Hunt did or Okanye or anything else. You have Kaiwan Jones, who I believe has had double knee surgery. And yeah, he, he, I feel terrible for that guy because every now and then you're like, Wow, he's really good. And then like two minutes later, they're like, and they're helping him off. But yeah, you're right. These are the only ones at all that are left from that class that are playing on defense. And then and then the next have, class is the same way. With, yeah. I think with just Marcus Bailey. Yeah, 2015, this class was 68 nationally. Yeah, in the Big Ten, they rated dead last, uh, that recruiting class. And you have, uh, uh, we should have Eddie Wilson, but he got himself, he, yeah, less said about him, the better. And then Bailey, and that that's it. And uh, you have, and you've had so many different reasons here. You have like Will Colmery has a bizarre cyst that bursts in his head, and it ends his career. You have Andy Chelf who gets shot after the spring game and leaves the program. Guys kicked off, guys that transferred out, and so yeah, like you're you're right. You have two guys that in in those two classes that are actually contributing, you know, three guys, you know, and one of them is Bailey, who's supposed to be the best player on the team, but he's kind of been underwhelming this year, to be honest, too. Yeah, I just keep looking out on the field for Marcus Bailey. I mean, I see him sort of wandering around the pile sometimes, but he's had 10 tackles, I think, in the last two games, 10 tackles total, and I mean, God, it wasn't hard to get a tackle against Missouri. They ran like 100 plays. And, And I think part of that can be they're just going away from him really you know they know they know he's our best defender and so they just go for, on the opposite side of the field from him yeah i don't know what's going on with him because i would think that if he was good enough we would just stick him in the middle if they were doing that but i i have been i have not been as impressed with bailey as i thought i would uh, this year and I, um, hopefully that's gonna pick up and maybe a lot of some of it is scheme uh, you know, I haven't paid that close of attention to it. We, uh, he's been struggling. Our our linebackers as a whole, though, you know, they're young, but they're pretty impressive. That, I mean, that's just our problem is they're all so young that they, they make mistakes, big mistakes. 
Like, mm-hmm. they may be good for two plays and then blow an assignment, and then all of a sudden, you know, third and 15 is first down. Or And it's just, it's every, it's the problem is we're just not good every down. We're good on a lot of downs, but when you're really bad on one down, that's, you know, it sort of sets you back. And that's what we've, we've been good, and then we've been bad. Um, we had Missouri. I thought we were, we had them on that final drive. We had that second down play where I think two people had a shot at lock, and our defensive end obviously got held, and then he tosses it all the way across the field to his running back who just sort of popped out of the backfield uh, for like a 15-yard gain. That should have been, that should play should have been dead three times, and we just couldn't get him on the ground. Right. That's sort and, of been the, the problem. And that was one of the very few times we actually got pressure on lock and i you know i'll give him a ton of credit he made a great play i mean that's that's the next level play right there but it's still frustrating like you said we couldn't get him on the ground and we had every opportunity to do so what i'd be interested in seeing is the statistics of how many yards we've given up on defense when the team is gaining the first down it just feels like you know we can put pressure on them on first and second down but on third and fourth down when it's third and fourth and long they're able to get these long plays to get the first downs and maybe that would average out if you look at a yards given up per play but this is just what i feel i don't have the numbers in front of me but it just seems like we're just giving up those big plays at such crucial times right and you're exactly right and we just it's frustrating and it it reminds me a lot of the hope defenses and part of the hazel defenses and everything else and i i just i wish i knew the answer aside from they just need to get some experience like you said and i really think it'll be a lot better next year that you'll have another year for barnes and jones at linebacker i think that's going to help a ton you'll have marvin grant coming in at safety i think that's going to help a ton you'll have Diedrich Mackey and Kendrick Major will be another, they'll have another year experience at corner. It's just, it's really frustrating right now. And it makes it uh, all the more frustrating that we're, well, about three plays from being 3-0. and And they all could have been defensive plays. Well, I, I will say this, is that nobody should be giving Nick Holtz any, any grief right now. Because he is doing what he has. He's in a real bind. Like, uh, even when Juan was talking about third down, we are in a terrible, terrible bind because we can't generate a pass rush with four people. But if we leave our corners outside on an island, they're just getting burnt to a tote, like crispy, by, like, not even really great teams or, or players. Obviously, Missouri was better. So then we're to the point where we rush three, do we rush three? Because rushing three and rushing four is essentially the same right now. Uh, we're not getting within five yards of the quarterback either way. So we rush and play zone and drop back, or we try to bring extra people and put the safeties outside and, or put the you know DBs outside and just hope they hold up because they haven't. So it's sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. You blitz, you expose the secondary, but you don't blitz, and then... You know, they just pick you apart because you're not getting any pressure anywhere. And Locke just sits there and picks his nose and waits for somebody to get open and then, you know, delivers a strike. So it's a real bind there on third and fourth down about what we can even do. Um, you saw Holt try to play it both ways. He, he brought some pressure. He tried to do the three-man. He tried to go with the three-man rush and back out and play coverage. It was just our secondary. I mean, we are starting two walk-ons in the secondary. Um, and I know they're playing hard. Black, uh, Blackman is playing as hard as he can, and he's but he's not 
he's not anybody's. He shouldn't be a deep, uh, like a cornerback one. He shouldn't be the lead cornerback on any team. I think he'd be good in the slot by this time, but he's matching up against their best receiver. And uh, Thienman is a good tackler, but he can't get outside. If they're playing, if he's playing deep safety, he can't get out to the, the streak on the outside. Like you saw that against uh, EMU. Um, where you're like, well, Kason got burned, but our safety, who's supposed to be playing deep center field, is also like four yards behind the play trying to catch up. Um, and that's so we're sort of just in this bind in this area where we don't have a lot of athletes. And I will say that Navon Mosley has been extremely disappointing. I thought he was going to be a lot better than he is. Every big play, you see him take a bad angle and slap at a running or at a runner as they go by him. I can't remember how many big plays last night you saw him in the screen just whiff on a tackle. And it, it, you know. it's frustrating. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably try to see something a little bit. We'll see improvement over the course of the season. But, you know, I, I just don't know what it's going to take to change things around here. And, you know, even last night we had a dumb penalty and, you know, it, it's really hard to evaluate how much, you know, intangibles and the ability to avoid dumb penalties factors into a star rating or whatnot. But I imagine it factors in some and you've got to hope that that is something that's coming next year, too. I mean, can I just say that I personally feel like a couple of these, several of these personal foul penalties have been ticky tacky at best to where if the ref didn't call him nobody would have even noticed it and i've seen a lot worse go uncalled these i have not thought the officiating has done a very good job with that especially with that that penalty with neil where he just sort of the guy's on his arm and he just falls down i mean i'm not sure what else he can do and then like kirk Barron gets a 15-yard penalty because a dude hits him and he sort of pushes him back, and all of a sudden that's the penalty. Really disappointed in some of the, those calls as just being a real strange and quick 15-yard personal fouls. Because I watch, like, you know, I'm, I also write for uh, Kansas State and Clemson, so I watch a lot of games. I see stuff go on in those games, especially in the Clemson games, all the time that don't get called personal fouls that are just like that, if not worse. And, you know, spe- speaking of officials, uh, we-, we should probably talk about the catch-not-catch for Sparks. He's a- he's another guy I really, really feel for the last two weeks because he's played extremely well, I think. And he's – you talk – you take away all the defensive issues, all the penalties, all the mistakes, the turnovers, whatnot. You can make an argument that Purdue is literally – two inches away from being at least two and one because if Sparks comes down a split second later and he gets that one foot inbound last week, we have the ball first and goal inside the one with a two-point lead. You got to think we punch it in from there. And instead, we have to kick the field goal and miss the field goal, go down, you know, Eastern Michigan goes down, wins the game. Then, of course, last night, the, the call in the end zone where – Apparently they thought the ball hit the ground. I I ran inside uh, real quick to see the broadcast. I had a I went inside the Shively and to look up and see what the replay said. And it certainly looked to me like he had an arm under the ball, even though it was being jostled. And I, I really thought it was a case of as long as they were reviewing it, it's the there's not enough evidence to overturn, so we'll go with what the call is on the field. So I was just I was really surprised that they that they uh, overturned that. What did you guys see on TV? It looked 
I mean, I mentioned this on Twitter and whatnot already, but to me, it looked like the ball did hit the ground. Of course, the I th- and then the issue right now, I think, is is that enough evidence to overturn it? And perhaps in the minds of the refs, that was. And you know, I've seen those kind of replays many times, where most of the time it ends up being ruled incomplete. I don't agree with it, but I'd rather have them be consist consistently shitty on that call. <laughs> Yeah, I'll say that they had the re- whoever was do- the referee on duty, you know, the guy that the referee they call in when they go to those plays to give their opinion on it, on it, said that he didn't see anything that could overturn it on the broadcast. Um, he thought it, he's, he thought basically it was my thought too. If they call it incomplete, it was going to be an incomplete pass. And if they call it a touchdown, it was going to be a touchdown because you couldn't see it. You could see the ball wobble, but you couldn't see Sparks' hand. And the ball can hit the ground as long as your hand's underneath the ball. You couldn't see his hands, um, and that was the point that whoever the rules expert it was making, and uh, you know that's that's the way replay should work. If you have to squint and play it back and go to six different cam- camera angles, that's not what it was designed for. It wasn't designed for you know pixelation and trying to figure that. It's supposed to be to correct an obvious error on the- that wasn't obvious either way. Uh, so I feel like that's you know just an abuse really of the the replay system. It was the replay official interjecting himself in the game where his that's not his job his job is to overturn stuff that bounces like you know clearly bounces on the ground or clear a foot out and it was none of that it was that was just you know a terrible job uh by the officials the replay officials in my uh, in my opinion i would have the same opinion if if they ruled it incomplete and then the rules official changed it back to changed it to a touchdown of course i'd be happy but i would still think that wasn't really the place for the replay anyway i, I don't think it ended up i don't think it ended up uh changing the outcome because like we said uh they drove down and they they probably score a touchdown i'm betting if they're down four because yeah that would have put them down four as opposed to tie I, I think they punch it in but it also changes the they have some urgency there to punch it in and right it changes how we play all back and go down and kick our own field goal and go to overtime so it, it just kind of it changed the dynamics of the game because with them wanting to score i don't think that they're going to purposely kill the clock kill a minute and a half off the clock in the well we're on the five so we'll just run it down to three seconds to score a touchdown you could never do that because you don't know if the play is going to be successful so and also yeah. it changes the way we play you you play defense uh, much differently when you're up four than when you're tied so i mean it's hard to say yeah that they drove down the field but who knows what the defense would have looked like obviously it had been struggling but uh who knows what we would have run on defense if we were up four as opposed to being down three and if that would have been successful or not because we had had some success in the fourth quarter of you know sort of slowing them down uh and then them fizzling out sort of late in drives and obviously we couldn't do that we had to come with pressure because we couldn't let them get into field goal range if it was just don't have them score a touchdown that changes the whole defensive philosophy obviously very frustrating and three losses by eight points the record being 0-3 first time since 1996 that we're 0-3 and it doesn't get any easier this coming week with Boston College Uh, I watched part of their game with Wake Forest this week and they managed to hold on and win by a touchdown at Wake Forest on Thursday night it was 
one of those games that was moved back due to the hurricane and everything. But this is a 3-0 and team. They're in the top 25. So uh, we at least have a chance to get our first win over a top 25 team in seven years. But it's, I mean, it's not going to be an easy win. Or it's not going to be an easy game at all. Uh, they've got a tremendously good running back in A.J. Dillon. Uh, Wake Forest is 2-1. and So, you know, they were at least pushed by a pretty good team. But I'm not going to say that we're, you know, significantly worse than Wake Forest. So I believe that we've got a shot and I believe that uh, this team's going to have a lot to play for. Nobody wants to go down 0-4. No one wants to go 0-4 with four home games. And really, if Purdue can find a way to pull this off, I think you're looking at, well, you're 1-3, but at least that was kind of the worst case scenario when we were looking at the season starting. And you just replace the Boston College, they replace the EMU win that everybody thought we were going to get with Boston College. And, you know, I'm just curious, what do you guys think about this coming week? I mean, can we get enough fixed to actually pull this off? I think the key for this game is how Purdue starts. Because the the things that have been common in all three of the games is that Purdue has started off the game terribly. You know, you started down 14 nothing against Northwestern, never really got anything going against Eastern Michigan. And then you start off being down 27-10 to 10 against Missouri, which could easily have been like 38-10. to 10. In those three games, Purdue has been either coming from behind or struggling to put away an opponent. And that really changes the dynamics of how they've been playing in the second half. And so if Purdue really wants to win on Saturday, they need to have a much better first half compared to these first three games. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, oh, their quarterback, uh, Anthony Brown, uh, he, he's got some Drew Locke-esque numbers. Uh, 626 yards in three games, nine touchdowns, no interceptions. Yeah, uh, but to be fair, he's played UMass Holy Cross and that Wake secondary is also trash. So I don't get too, too caught up in that, even though our secondary is also trash. Uh, I I would say that our best shot uh, on Saturday is AJ Dillon pulling a hamstring or something. Like we're he's he is significantly better than any running back we've played so far. And the the, the Missouri running back, uh, you probably won't hear from him again. And he looked like an All American uh, against us. And so AJ Dillon is an actual, and it could it could get ugly. He could run for. I wouldn't be shocked if he put up ran for over 200, 250 yards and two or three touchdowns. I mean, he ran for what? He had 33 against Wake Forest. He had 33 carries for 185 yards and a touchdown. And Holy I mean, Cross, his game, his game against Holy Cross, six carries, 149 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, I mean that's not really fair because he's bigger than a lot of the Holy Cross's, uh, you know, linemen. This dude's a, a hoss. He's like six foot feet, 245, and uh, he's got that got some breakaway speed. I will tell you, as as you know, the Clemson Riders have the Boston. And college games circled is probably our biggest test left on the schedule that includes uh you know some pretty decent teams but just what aj Dillon can do if he's running running right is tough to stop even if you're good so hopefully we can figure something out we're gonna have to turn this also into a track and see if we can outscore him and wait you know to be fair wake 
Wake almost did it. Wake yeah. almost, I mean, Wake almost turned that thing sucker into a track meet, and uh, BC had to score. Uh, he was tied at half, and then... Yeah, Wake, Wake lost 41-34, but they turned the ball over on downs at the uh, inside the 10-yard line at one point. So that's they were close enough there to get seven more. And I believe they had... Yeah, they had an interception near midfield as well. So, you know, they had every chance possible to uh, make more of a game of it. And I believe it was, af- yeah, after the turnover on downs, they gave up a 71-yard touchdown pass. So, you know, that's yeah. a, that's your 14-point shift right there. Yeah, and it was a weird game. I think the weather was weird. I, Wakes for Wakes, uh, actually, Wakes. God, they ran a ton of plays, too. Wake ran... 105 plays they threw 45 they threw it 45 times they ran it 60 times and they had two guys go two 100 yard rushers and uh, their quarterback had 65 yards so it's not like this boston college defense is great um, which is which is stunning in its own right because i know for years under adazio boston college was like fine we'll win 10-6 we don't care yeah no that's uh that's sort of always been their trademark i they lost a lot from that defense last year i'd have to look it up but especially i don't think they're as good on that defensive line as they usually are they usually like even at, like you know cheering for clemson you go into boston college and you're like god they've got like two giant on the yeah, playing defensive tackle and you can't run on the inside because they're both like six feet like 230 and then they have some crazy like linebacker that runs around and gets 20 tackles because uh, he's clean all game uh, and that's sort of been boston college you know, i don't know if they have that sort of defensive line this year hopefully you know there's there's definite hope there's definite hope i think we can score on them i think they're gonna score on us we're gonna need to put up 30 minimum to win but i probably put that more in the maybe 40 points to win uh, I'm very encouraged, like you said, uh, them giving up 200-yard rushers last week. It's like you may have a lot like the EMU game where, well, Knox and Jones both went for 100-plus, and we've got the ability to do that. The nice thing is, is if you're running the ball, you know, I I felt Purdue's best shot last night was uh, that first drive of the second half where we took like six, six and a half minutes off the clock to drive down and get a field goal, and I was like, oh, that's good. It gives the defense an extended rest, and well, they gave up 75 yards in 90 seconds but at least it, at least in theory you know the other team can't score if they don't have the ball so i have i have no problem with a steady diet of jones and Knox and uh, keeping dylan safely on the sidelines problem with that is it's so our offensive line looked better last game so maybe this will improve but um it's hard to run do that power run ball control when your defense comes out on the field and you know they score you know the first two drives they score on four or five plays and all of a sudden you're like well we yeah, we're down. As Juan said, in the first quarter, we're down, and then we just got to throw it to get try to get back in it because we can't run the ball, can't risk not scoring. That was Purdue. That was actually one thing they did really well last night is there was several drives, even the first half, where I'm like, if we don't score, we're out of this game. And uh, I think every time I said that, we came up with something. That was positive for us really responding when we needed, the offense needed to score. They kept us in the game because we could have full 
folded in the first half. Right. I was actually listening to the game on the way back from Kansas City. My wife and she was like, they're going to get blown out. And I was like, yeah, sure sounds like that. You know, Fiona made that clutch block and then we got some points. So that's our hope is that, uh, you know, some of the run game works and uh, we can outscore them. The, I, I guess you speak of hope here and it's like, well, uh, <laughs> you know, Nebraska's not looking that good and and uh, neither is Illinois. So if you could, if you can get a positive result here against Boston College, you just never know. And then you claw back to three and three before a very likely loss against Ohio State. But at least that gives you a shot at something in the second half of the season. I look at it right now. Boston College, we you can beat Boston College. I, I was I would put it 60-40 Boston College, right? I was at Nebraska. Is at it's at Nebraska, but that's still probably 60-40 Nebraska, maybe 55-45. We're we're still got we got a good shot to win that game. I think we're heavy favorites over Illinois because uh, we can score, and that's the same thing against Nebraska. They can't score. I think we can score. That's much better matchups for us. Ohio State's going to be tough. It's always going to be tough. We can beat Michigan State because they can't score, uh, and we can score. We can beat Iowa. We can beat Minnesota. We can beat Indiana. I mean, Wisconsin's probably 70-30 but, uh, in Wisconsin, but, I mean, we've got a— That's generous at 70-30, I'm afraid. 70-30 with us, um, with me assuming the defense gets a little better and we've got a puncher's chance, and their offense continues to look like butt. Their offense looks like butt. <laughs> I mean, real, real ugly butt. I have to say, in regards to the Wisconsin-BYU game yesterday, I absolutely love that a BYU coach used two, only two of his three timeouts to ice the Wisconsin kicker because Wisconsin kicker probably thought that the BYU coach was going to call that third timeout to ice him, but he didn't, and he ended up shanking the potential game-tying field goal, saying that was a pretty ballsy move on BYU's part. Yeah, no, the Wisconsin ki- kicker. But, I mean, Hornybrook, that's, he, he's, he's their quarterback. He threw for 190 yards and an interception. That's it. 18 to 28, 190 yards and an interception. Now, of course, our problem against Wisconsin is they can run the ball and we can't stop the run. So that's probably where, uh, you know, this all gets derailed. But I think you can beat Wisconsin if you can get them into a shootout. And we can do that. At least I think that's where our shot comes from. Our, our opportunities. I think we have that sort of knockout puncher's chance, even against some better teams, just because we can score. I think this offense, once it gets geared up, I think you saw it. Some of it against, I mean, you saw it against Missouri. I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line. If we can get the offensive line to block, we've got talent on the outside. I mean, I don't know with Zico Wright and uh, Rondale Moore, those are three explosive athletes. I I was really impressed with Terry Wright and Isaac Zico uh, getting their hands on the ball and making stuff happen. I mean, Zico had that incredible play where he hurdled the guy. Of course, he's stepped out of bounds before that, but you're starting to see, especially with those two, them really come on. This usually takes Juco's that second year is when you see him really start performing, and both of those guys with Rondell Moore and then Sparks as more of our possession, uh, you know, 50-50 ball receiver. I like our chances to score and the tight ends look good again. Defense isn't bad. Uh, like I said, Terry Beckner is, he'll be an NFL draft pick. He had 11 sacks last year. And we did a pretty good job of slowing him down overall. So I think we can score. We're going to have to score. 
I was the beginning of the year. I was saying we need to hit 30 to win. I think I've sort of uh, gone to maybe 34, 35, uh, but that's going to be our chance. It's just, it would be nice to have something positive here because we, we were so excited about this season coming into the year and to, to have it kind of go sideways in 16 days when you think about it from the Northwestern game 16 days later, we're 0 and 3 after losing to all three to Northwestern, Eastern Michigan, and Missouri. It just, it would be really nice to have something here against Boston College and, you know, get, get some momentum to get Nebraska and Illinois and, and get to get to three and three at the season's midpoint after this start. That would be just an incredible, incredible turnaround, really. And, you know, even if they're two and four, one and five, I'm, I'm still not giving up on Brom just because he has at least earned and shown that he can do something. I mean, Hazel never even came close to accomplishing anything like Brom has with, with last year. And I think last year brought some goodwill and you have the incoming recruiting classes and whatnot and it's going to take a little bit more time than we thought and yeah we we were all dreaming oh could this be nice win season Rom is amazing Rom is amazing well he's got such a talent deficit now that it is going to take some time but he's shown that he can turn it around and you know you might have a three and nine or four and eight season before six and six to seven and five next year to a big 2020 when you get his recruiting classes in and they get some experience under their belt. Yeah, and I would say that the the main thing about uh, this season, the main goal is to keep this recruiting class together to win enough and to be competitive enough to keep this recruiting class together because that this is going to be one of the sort of bedrock recruiting classes because right now i mean this is a recruiting class we put together off a lot of excitement and a bowl win and you know we've got a lot of young coaches uh, our young assistants that are out there doing a great job if we can win enough or just keep it competitive enough to hold these guys' interests. We're probably, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if we lost a couple, um, but to keep the core of the group together um, and maybe pick up somebody on offense like Nate Bell, who has apparently loved his trip to West Lafayette and uh, has hopefully we've snatched him away from the evil clubs of Penn State back to the good team. That would be huge. And this, this season was always going to be tough. I, don't, I think a lot of us may have underestimated just how tough the defense was going to be, and I think we all kind of thought that Nick Bolt was some sort of wizard who could just sprinkle his defensive dust on our players, and all of a sudden they get bigger, stronger, and faster. Yeah, um, I, I, I was guilty of that. I thought I thought what Holt did, it just it looks like he performed a miracle last year, to be quite honest. <laughs> so, with right. what he did and everything, I, just, I thought, oh, well, he'll be able to keep that up. No, maybe not. Yeah, well, he was able to do a lot more because he had a lot of experienced players that could understand sort of the schemes. I, I think a lot of what we've seen out of Holt this year is being people think he's being overly conservative it's because one he, the players are are new either to college football in general or 
to playing college football um, as a redshirt freshman. And uh, that's, uh, or sophomores like Barnes and Jones who played special teams, they're getting their first real snaps. And then you know, Revere and Higgins are getting their first extended action. So is Anthony Watts. I mean, those guys, this is like the first three actual games of their college football career. So uh, asking them to do a lot of zone blitzing and bring a lot of pressure off the corner. And, and that's, I mean, that's just, they're not ready for that yet. So hopefully by the middle of the season, you'll start seeing uh, Holt start sort of being able to empty out his bag of tricks a little bit more as the guys get used to playing. But and I also think that's part of our problem in the first cup first half is we, we don't know what's going. It takes us a while to get into the game. Uh, and that's not unusual for, you know, young players. It's all of a sudden, man, that guy, that guy hits hard. Those, these guys are going really fast. Or, wow, I just... Last year, if I missed a tackle on special teams, the guy behind me got it. This year, if I missed a tackle as the middle linebacker, the guy scored a touchdown. And so I mean, it's, it's we've been asking a lot of our guys to do stuff. This is the very first time they've, they've been able to do it on this level. And that's what, three out of our four defensive linemen, two of our linebackers, uh, and then both of our cornerbacks uh, are doing stuff for the very first time. <laughs> that's a tough deal. It really is. And, uh, you know, I, I still have some hope for the future and you know it, it would just be nice to see some positives out of the rest of the season and you know yeah it's going to be a little bit more disappointing than we had originally thought but you know what we can turn this around and I'm going to I'm just going to trust in Brom and Holt and everybody else so and on a positive note we can still be at his ass in the year yeah they're looking solid Indiana's always something to play for I don't want to hear that I want to hear that <laughs> All day. Yeah, and we couldn't beat Eastern Michigan. And hush, hush, Travis. Regardless, regardless yeah. of everything, that's that's the game we should have won by at least two touchdowns. I don't want to rehash the Mich- Eastern Michigan game, but that game's a lot different if it's not played the torrential downpour. Uh, we fumbled the ball five times. And uh, and uh, Eastern Michigan had no problem throwing for 300 yards on us. So Anyway, we should anyway. probably, you know, wrap this close to an hour here. Yeah, I'm, missing hell, I'm missing hell in the cell right now. I pay for the WWE Network, and I'm podcasting instead of watching the pay-per-view. Well, it's important to... It's important to have standards. So, yes. so uh, any final thoughts, Juan, or no? I'm, we're, we're seeing an improvement on offense, at least. That's a good sign. But like I said, if we want to win, got to start playing better in the first half, in the first quarter. Right, and we, we need to put it together. And I, I think that I think we're right on the edge. I mean, it's it's still as frustrating. It, it's so frustrating because we're so close. You know, we got we to gotta get it done. Uh, Drew, do you have any final thoughts? Oh, I actually think despite what the scoreboard looks like we're playing we played much better on defense in the second half against Missouri and I, I'd like to hope that that is going to carry over and you see some of it click with some of these young guys uh, and you see us start to at least put up some token resistance uh, to the opposition scoring points on us but uh, I think at this point hey six wins I'll take six wins all day if we can scrape out six wins uh, that's going to be good five wins I think, while obviously not ideal, is not the end of the world. Four win territory, and you start getting into some bad stuff, and obviously less than four, and it's the worst case scenario. So right now we're just trying to fight that off. And and, and the EMU one's going to sting in that regard, but you know that it is what it is. So. Hey, we lost to Rutgers last. Yeah, it, 
it, it, it very, it's very similar to that Rutgers loss, to be quite honest. So, well, we'll see what happens. And uh, as always, we thank you guys for listening and uh, for sticking with us. And just hope that you guys will uh, will uh, stick with the team because I, I think that there's better days ahead. And we've, we've got a lot to look forward to. And we may just have to wait a little bit longer than we had expected coming into this year. But let, let's just stick behind them and support them and... Are you peeing? What? Where are you? <laughs>